are atheists scary people who hate Christians and who sometimes stand against Christian activities in the public realm because they hate God and want to make sure everybody is worshiping Satan? Or is there empathy to what they do? I'm going to talk to somebody today who's going to give us a feel for that. Sometimes we think atheists are just people hurt by the church who are now trying to get back at us through Christian oppression. I often have people tell me on social media, nothing good can come from anybody who doesn't know Jesus. I don't think that's biblical, but nonetheless, I hear it on a regular basis. So we're going to meet a couple of atheists today on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Don't be afraid. Sit down and listen, and you might find humanity in people that in the past you've thought inhuman. Before we get to the podcast, just let me remind you about the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon community. It's the place where we get our financial support for this podcast and for the message of Pastor Paul. That's me, Paul Swearingen, the Nonpartisan Evangelical the TikTok pastor on TikTok. If you go to my website, pastor-paul.com, which will take you to the podcast website, there's a button you can click in the upper right-hand corner that says, join our Patreon community. And for as little as $5.99 a month, you can help us spread the word of the nonpartisan evangelical, spread the word of telling people God is not mad at you. And this is not a donation. The non nonpartisan evangelical is part of a for-profit company that pays taxes. So you won't get a tax write-off, but you'll get cool things in exchange for the subscription, including the audiobook version of my novel, Joseph Comes to Town. So go to the website, pastor-paul.com, click on the Patreon button. If you're using your iPhone or iPad device, for some reason the Patreon button doesn't show up there, and we're going to fix that. But you can go directly to the Patreon community site at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash N-P-E podcast. That's nonpartisan evangelical N-P-E. So it's patreon.com slash N-P-E podcast. I'm so grateful for the nearly 100 of you who have already signed up are now part of our private Facebook group. Some of you got autographed copies of my novel and other cool stuff you get for the subscription. But mostly I know most of you are doing it just because you want people out there to know God is not mad at them. I don't think God is mad at the world, and I don't think he's mad at my two guests who called themselves atheists. David and Michael have a podcast that you may want to check out sometime challenging Christian beliefs. And I believe our beliefs need to be challenged on a regular basis. And if we're afraid to have them challenged, then how strongly do we actually believe them? And how strongly do we actually believe our case can be made? I don't do a ton of argument in, you know, in defense of Christianity with David and Michael here, because I want you to hear their hearts and their voice and as I like to do so often on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast, I want you to have proximity to somebody you're probably not going to hear from in your daily life. So don't turn it off just because there is an atheist here. 
Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to the age of what you know, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I think this is a mind renewal opportunity to hear somebody challenge our beliefs and to not be defensive and argumentative back as a part of that process. Just listen and see what God will say to your spirit as you listen. If you believe in a God that speaks to your spirit. All right. I talked to David C. Smalley and Michael Regilio, two of my atheist friends here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at pastor-paul.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush for brains, evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump. It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Paul Swearingen here, otherwise known as Pastor Paul, the TikTok pastor. And this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast, where we try to reclaim some part of evangelicalism from this kind of right-wing craziness. And our motto is, God is not a Republican. And uh, so part of that process is getting people in proximity with others that they may not get to have uh, community with or communication with. And so I've got a couple of great guests towards that today. Very scary characters, humanist, atheist, all of the things that make us go screaming in the night in our in our bedrooms. Uh, from the David C. Smalley podcast, a podcast that I had the honor to be on uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they're nice guys, I promise. David C. Smalley is with us and Michael Regilio. Hey guys, how's it going? Very good, thank you. So glad to be here. Thanks for having us. I, I want to tell you, we recorded it. Technically, it's not out yet uh, because I'm saving you because it was such a good episode. I'm saving that for when we launch on our brand new network, which is something Michael connected us with uh, on Starburns. I'm saving that episode. Uh, so I, I hardly I usually just release it like the same day, like right when we're done recording, it goes out. But that 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 show's probably going to be my first episode on the new network any day now. Wow, I'm honored. Well, if it doesn't come out in a month or so, I'll, I'll figure I hit the dust bend. And <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us about the David C. Smalley podcast. I, I, as I look through the titles, it's like David versus Christian, David versus this. Um, what is the is the mission of the podcast? And am I right? You you are a a humanist. Is that a good description for where you guys are coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're both humanists. Um, I'm a little bit better of a humanist than Michael and that's okay. That's okay. I'm a nicer person. I love people more. He puts his love into animals and became a vegan. I'll eat bacon. So he's nicer toward animals. We all have our favorites, but for the most part, yeah, we're both comedians, but I, I started the show 
uh, 11 years ago. Uh, it originally started as like a, a blog. It was called Dogma Debate. And I would post basically a blog that would say, here's an issue, because I was a Christian sort of coming out of my faith. And I would say, here's an issue I have with the Bible. Was Jesus the son of God or is he God incarnate? And then a whole discussion would start and the forum would sort of break apart and people would be talking. And I noticed that when people would get really nasty with each other, an atheist would get really nasty with a Christian or vice versa, rather than deleting the comment and banning the person, which was really popular in the early 2000s, I basically just would comment on the person as the owner of the blog. And I would say, do you think that this is the right way to get the person to see your point? And I would leave the comment there and inevitably almost unanimously the comments would be i'm sorry you're right i i shouldn't have responded that way i was just upset because i was abused by religion or my dad's an atheist and left my mom and we we go to church every day and someone's got you know we come we all come to with so much baggage and i'm guilty of it as well we all are we lash out at people but it's important to reflect why we what why we lashed out and if that's going to be productive moving forward and so the it, it, the blog got really popular and it, it was hard to keep up with responding so I started recording conversations because I could talk in real time. And so the podcast was originally called Dogma Debate, and I was just the host, David C. Smalley. And then over time, we eventually changed the name of the podcast. I had a lot of recurring co-hosts coming in and out. A lot of times when I talk with believers, it's one-on-one. Um, and then for your conversation, I had, I had Michael here, mostly because I think it was on a Sunday. And Michael comes over for the Sunday episodes that we do mostly comedy and politics. And then I record a Thursday episode where it's just me one-on-one -on -one with a Christian or or uh, uh, someone who claims to be a psychic or someone who claims to be into crystal healing. And I think Michael brought me one person back when you were on another show, he brought yeah. me someone who claimed to be able to feel energy and crystals. So we blindfolded her and handed her rocks and paper clips and, and, and mixed crystals in. And we we test Ouija boards and all kinds of stuff just to see what's going on. So yeah. it, it sort of moved into this idea of skepticism uh, polite disagreements about politics, but we also try to keep it funny. And a lot of the time it's hard to be funny and polite, right? Because you want to roast somebody <laughs> and have someone laugh. You don't want to be super respectful, but Michael's been a great addition to the podcast. I love his, his knowledge, his attitudes, very similar. And uh, his deep dive of historical politics is way greater than mine. So it's, it's great to have him as a resource. on the how, show. how did the crystal lady do Michael? amazingly um you would think that so we blindfolded her and we were giving her like a rock from david's front yard versus a crystal purchased in a crystal shop and you'd think that she would she, she would be best case scenario 50 50 blind chance she was actually like 80 20 guessing the rocks were crystals and the crystals <laughs> are rocks she did really really poorly yeah <laughs> and then we had so we, i was so inspired by that episode i did another one where we did it again and, and it was, she was wrong about 70% of the time. So it's, it's really weird The both times we've tested it. It's been, it's been incredible. I also did one where I did a Ouija board and I turned the board with them blindfolded and we have some video of that. Yeah. So we're all about testing the, yeah. you know, any claims of the metaphysical, including, right. including Christianity. If people right. claim to have, you know, relationships with God, we want to talk about that. We want to know where they're coming from, but we also want to have a good time doing it and stay respectful. Right. So. And I just had a thought, that I hadn't had before. Maybe they've got it exactly backwards. Maybe rocks have energy and power and crystals don't. And that's yeah. why both energy people were guessing the rocks were crystals. Wow, that's brilliant.
Yeah. Maybe. And I think the interesting thing, and it certainly was the case when I was with you guys, that you are honoring and respectful of people's beliefs. And so I think that that gives some good space for some conversation. And that's why I really wanted to have, have you on. So because atheist, humanist, all of that stuff is pretty scary to particularly our, our evangelical Christians and secular humanists are going to take over the world. I heard this all the time when I was a kid, but it is Michael, is your background spiritual, religious? What, where do yeah, you come at Catholic. this from? I'm, I'm so sorry, tell me again. My dad was in, uh, I was, my dad was in Opus Day. That's how Catholic we were. And if you don't, if your viewers or don't remember Opus Day, they're, they're, kind of best known for the Da Vinci Code, the bad guy was in Opa's day, but they are a branch of Catholicism that is so strict that only men are allowed to join and they still do mass in Latin. They, they, Vatican II, too progressive for them. <laughs> they messed it up when they, they, they switched over to English. Are those oh. the guys that chant like Mecca, Lecca, Hi, Mecca, Honey, Ho? That's the other people have to say, Honey, Ho, oh, whatever. I, I've lost track <laughs> over time. Yeah. And so is, is the premise, and David, I heard your conversation about uh, President Biden's inauguration and the, the religious themes around that. And, and, and certainly from the conversation, you, you see that as, uh, do you see it as a threat? Is, it, is there a danger in it? Or is it just, you just would prefer people who aren't religious not to have to be exposed to those types of occurrences? That is such a good question. And I think for if the vast majority of your viewers and or listeners are evangelical. This is super important for them to know. I would say the vast majority of atheists would march with you if some government official were attempt to outlaw Christianity. And that's interesting for people to wrap their heads around. A lot of times what we're really saying is you're, you're not representative of all the people. We want all the people represented. And so if, if you get up before uh, a Senate hearing and say a prayer to God or specifically Jesus Christ or say in Jesus' name, amen, just pause for a moment and think about the Hindus. Think about the Jews. Think about the, the, the Native Americans, the Cherokee, the, the people who don't worship your specific version of Christianity. Think about the atheists and the non-believers, all the people that you're alienating in that point. It's, it's a threat in the sense that we feel like we're, we don't matter or that if you are praying to God for your foreign policy, I have to go, which God, which version, which version of the Bible are you ascribing to? Which God is talking to you? Is it the God who said, love your neighbor as yourself and turn the other cheek? Or is it the God of fundamentalist Christianity that's thriving in the Republican Party uh, you know, that was, that's, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Are we, are we doing the, uh, if you're poor, it's your own damn fault type God, like which God are you talking to? That's the concern. It's threatening in that way. And, and I, I care what you believe because we share a freeway, right? And if you let Jesus take the wheel, we're both screwed. So, so I do care what you believe and, and it can become threatening, but the vast majority of like the lawsuits and the complaints that we have come from us raising our hand and going, have you considered the Hindus? Have you considered the Muslims? Have you considered the Jews? Have you considered the atheists? Don't act like this is the government of Jesus Christ. This is a secular government and you're allowed to have your own individual political views and religious views, but to start legislating based on your interpretation of the Bible 
now we have an issue because now you're forcing your version of Christianity on me. And the truth is, I don't think Christians should want that either. Hope you're enjoying this podcast with David and Michael. Hope you're a little bit offended, maybe even, and it's causing you to check your heart and see where you are on some things because it certainly challenged mine made me really think about what do I really believe? And it's been a wonderful, wonderful process. Proximity to people we don't know is good. Let me remind you, check out the Patreon page. I love the new audiobook series we have going on there. Uh, we've almost got the whole audiobook recorded and posted on the Patreon page now. Joseph Comes to Town is my novel about the imagination of what Jesus Christ would say to the evangelical church were he on earth today. Joseph is a mythical Jesus-type character who starts critiquing the right-wing evangelical church of his very conservative town and doesn't make the evangelical Republican people there very happy at all. Would we crucify Jesus all over again is one of the questions I've been asking myself through the years. And this book is my imagination of whether the evangelical church would crucify Jesus were he on earth walking around our cities today. You'll have to read the book to find out. Joseph Comes to Town is available on Amazon, but mostly I want to encourage you to join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast, or go to pastor-paul.com. Click that join our Patreon community in the upper right-hand corner. For $5.99 a month, you get access to the audiobook series. For $12.99 a month, you get a free autographed copy of my novel, paperback version. You can go higher to support this ministry more. I'm doing numerous podcasts each week, about four podcasts a week, two TikTok lives, three TikTok videos every day that we also post on Instagram, where I just went over a thousand followers, and on Facebook and on Twitter to get the message out to the world that God is not mad at you. God does not require you to be a Republican in order to be in his good grace. I want you to help. Pastor-Paul.com. Click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, or you can go directly to the website of patreon.com slash podcast. Your financial support is so appreciated and so much so that we did it for profit so we can give you legal gifts in exchange for it. Not the illegal ones that most churches do. Or at least televangelists, maybe I should say. All right, thanks for having this chat with me. Now back to David and Michael, our atheist friends, on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at pastor-paul.com. And you're allowed to have your own individual political views and religious views, but to start legislating based on your interpretation of the Bible, now we have an issue because now you're forcing your version of Christianity on me. And the truth is, I don't think Christians should want that either because then it just comes down to the interpretation of that politician. And there are plenty of Christians who disagree on interpretations of the Bible. So, you know, yeah, it's threatening because we should, because we share a government and that government shouldn't take sides. 
Right. We often say that it's uh, as well as it's freedom of religion, it's also freedom from religion. And as David said, he said, did you consider the Hindu? Did you hear consider the Native American? And the best way to consider everybody is just leave it, leave religion out of politics altogether. And of course, your political views can be informed by religion, but don't expect to say we're going to pass this law or this legislation because the Bible says so and expect us to go that's a plenty good reason. That's yeah. not a plenty good reason for us. Exactly. So you're not buying the America is a Christian nation and anybody of any other religion is welcome, but they just have to understand that those, you know, we're, we're based on Christian values and Christian I traditions. Say, uh, look at the Treaty of Tripoli. That's exactly where I was going with that. The Treaty of Tripoli, it, it was stated on the Senate floor that the United States government is in no way founded upon the Christian religion. And that was one of the few things that was unanimously agreed upon in the Senate. When do you know when that it was? It was 1790s. 17- it was yeah. John, actually, I think it was early 1800s. It was John Adams was still the president in the United States. And the senators, uh, for the most part, were all founding fathers. So mm-hmm. if America was founded as a Christian nation, they didn't know it. <laughs> The opening to the treaty says America is was in no way founded as a Christian nation. Yeah. And they could all you, agreed. Yeah, they I all know. passed it. So they that that passed unanimously. And could you imagine that even passing in 2021? It w- it wouldn't even get to the floor. No. Ted what Cruz do you think they be, did? Ted Cruz they they said you're man. endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. Right. Yeah. And that's coming off of uh, John Locke, obviously. And uh, life, liberty and property was what Locke believed. And Thomas Jefferson just sort of used that as a blueprint when he said life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But yeah, when they talk about inalienable rights, they're talking about rights that it was a humanist position. And they were speaking in the vernacular of the time when they said of your creator. And you want to talk about Jefferson. Uh, obviously, he wrote the Jefferson Bible, which he took all the miracles and all the supernatural out of it. And Benjamin Franklin said, you know, lighthouses are more important than churches. So, I mean, when when they use terms like the creator, they were using just the, the parlance of their day. And keep in mind, this was pre-Darwin. So we didn't have any Darwinian evolution concepts. We didn't have any concepts of the origins of species that didn't exist yet. And a lot of those folks, definitely that mindset of this, this deistic creator God that just started things and walked away, started to fade away with, with Darwinism. So. Yeah. And I think where to, to your point, when, when, where it becomes dangerous. And I think we're seeing some of that in our culture now is there's this feel of like, we want to be this dominant culture, we being the Christian culture in America. And if we lose that, so th- then we lose everything. And so Elon Omar cannot be somebody in power in the United States. And, and we can justify not having Muslims have political positions of political influence and such. So I, I, I can see where it does become a danger at that point when maintaining majority control becomes important to Christians and thus then becomes very damaging to culture. And I think we're seeing a lot of that today. I think maybe they're so afraid because they're afraid that if we gain power, we will do what they have been doing, which is attempt to force everybody. Like I had a conversation with my Christian mother. I was considering running for Congress and I told my mom and I said, if I run for Congress, would you vote for me? She goes, no, you'd make it illegal to be Christian. 
And I was like, mom, you know me better than that. She's like, I know. And she laughs and she goes, but still, I don't think I can bring myself to vote for an atheist. I'm like, you know that I'm a decent person. She's like, I know. I don't know. I'll just cross that bridge when I come to it. I'm like, I don't even live in your state. So I was messing with you anyway, but still it's important. If I were to run for president, would you vote? You know, it's this idea that you think that we're going to outlaw your beliefs. And that's why I said most atheists would, would march with you and fight with you. If someone did try to outlaw your beliefs, we don't want to outlaw your belief. We don't want to make it illegal to read the Bible. We don't want to stop you from being a Christian. What we want to stop is, you getting preferential treatment in the law. And I can give you a quick example if it's okay. Sure, go. How this happens. So one, and I've never met a Christian. Well, that's not fair. Let me just state this and then I'll see how you feel about it. So daycares, for example, if, if Michael and I started our own daycare facility and we had, we hired a bunch of people to run it, we would have to, um, if we have 35 children there, there's a certain number of, of adults that have to be there along with CPR certification, certification on, on CPR, dealing with infants, dealing with young children, because it's all a little bit different. There has to be a certain number of uh, first aid kits and bandages, right? And if, if the government comes in and checks our statistics and we have one person with 12 kids and it's supposed to be one person for every 10 kids, we get written up, we get fined and potentially shut down because it's a danger to the children, right? So it's regulated and it should be regulated. So in turn, the daycares then will charge you even if your kid doesn't show up because they say, hey, you're signed up. You're on the roster. I have to have one person for every so many children. But you can go to church and drop your kid off at the church daycare where the pastor's 16-year-old daughter is watching 43 kids with no certifications, with no education whatsoever past 10th grade. And it's perfectly fine. That's a danger to the children. She's watching infants. She's wa she's, they're playing with Legos. They're playing with small toys that are choking hazards. She has no experience. She has never had a child. She's never had any sort of formal education. And that's fine. And if the government says, hey, you can't have a 16-year-old in charge of 40-something kids, the Christians cry, you're infringing upon my religious liberties. Right? Right. That's problem. So if you're, if you're allowing it as child care, you're getting a pass to fly under the radar to put children in danger based on your religious privilege. When if Michael and I were to start a secular daycare, we have to go by all these other certifications that cost us a lot of money. So what we're saying is, if you're going to have a daycare inside of a church, you should have to go by the same regulations that everybody else does because it's about safety. These rules are written in blood and you don't get to put children in danger because you say you believe in a God. That's what the atheist political movement is about. It's about fairness. It's about treating everyone exactly the same, not allowing preferential treatment based on religious beliefs. So you're not trying to, what about like, traditions like nativity scenes or or crosses on public property that have been there for a long, long time. Uh, you know, we see this now even in San Francisco, where they're trying to take the name Abraham Lincoln off of schools. And, and you know, that's been a big talk up here in Northern California, Central Northern California. Yeah, this year. That. What's that? Uh, we, we haven't heard about that. Oh, you didn't hear about that. Oh, it's it's a big thing up in San Francisco. They're take they're going to change the names of something like 44 schools and that includes Abraham Lincoln's name is going to be taken off of school. I wonder what uh, the, the reason for wanting Lincoln's name off. Lincoln was not very nice to the natives. Yeah, Lincoln 
wanted to send the the the, the freed slaves back to Africa. Apparently, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, they did. In fact, yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. And so now he's. So anyway, I, I mean, the the point is, and some religious person might say. But this has been our tradition for a long time. We put our hand on the Bible. Do you want to take these traditions out? Uh, and and is it going too far on the atheist side now? Well, I mean, the tradition argument is, in my opinion, a particularly weak one because there's plenty of traditions that we'll all agree uh, needed to go away. Uh, and I mean, tradition is just not, I mean, you could say that, you know, um, uh, women being property was a tradition and uh, for a long time, you know. Wait, uh, that's over? We can't do that? <laughs> Sorry, Dave. There goes my dating life. I, I just, I don't find tradition to be a very good reason. It's like, well, I, obviously we're evolving uh, as a society uh, and we're, we're getting better all the time. So I, looking back and saying, well, that's the way they used to do it. That's, that, 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 that's not the best argument I've ever heard. But as far as nativity scenes, I, you know, again, think of the other religions. I mean, do I have a personal problem with it? But what is it, what is the message to the Jewish person who also lives in that town, who also pays taxes, and that's also their town square or their, their government building that you're putting that nativity scene in front of? You're saying, we prefer this religion to your religion. I mean, I grew up in the Christian religion. And I very much like Christmas. It's all good memories for me, not a bad one in the bunch. I like nativity scenes. They remind me of good times and good tidings. But, you know, I, in that particular case, it's the message you're sending. When I said we share a government and that government doesn't get to choose sides, that's exactly what that is. When the Ten Commandments are in the front of City Hall, you've chosen one God. You've chosen the God of the Bible. And that alienates a lot of people who pay taxes into that building to make that building possible. Even if that specific nativity scene or that specific uh, uh, Ten Commandment monument was donated or paid for by an individual donor, it, it's, it's not only not representative of most people, it's divisive in nature because you're making people feel like they are second-class citizens. Imagine if the roles were reversed. Imagine if, you, if, if there is some specific um, Muslim monument that was donated to a city hall and the mayor happened to be Muslim and allowed it to happen. Would you really be okay with walking up to that city hall every single time with uh, these 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 Muslim commandments up there giving praise to Muhammad and the you know and and Allah that would that would rub a lot of people the wrong way and so what we're we're not saying don't believe in it right have your belief what we're saying is that is shared property paid for by everyone don't take sides and so we will fight you every step of the way to have nothing there because if we're gonna have every religion represented get ready for just it's gonna look like a cemetery in the front of the in front of the city hall there's going to be 40 different 50 different monuments with all these headstones like why why are we turning this into a religious museum this is where city business should take place not where we should choose preferential religious beliefs yeah there was a deal in texas a few years ago where the one of the schools where the the football players were running through a banner with a bible verse on it at a public school and and the court said they couldn't do it and everybody went nuts and yeah. and that was my question like well what if what if they wanted to put a verse from the Quran up? What if they wanted to put a verse from the Mormon Bible? You guys would, excuse my language, lose your shit, you know? And, and the, the, and argument so, off, the argument often is, but this is a Christian nation. No, yeah. 
it, it didn't start gaining that until the rise of the religious right in the 70s. We were not a Christian nation. And the money, the printing on the money was in the 50s to, under Eisenhower. It was because we were trying to be the good Christian nation as opposed to the communist Russian or the communist Soviet Union. It was all optics. Like we, This was all very recent, including adding under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. I was probably in my late 20s before I realized that was not part of the original writing. It was added in the 50s when Eisenhower was trying to, you know, trying to show that we were this good Christian nation. It was all for optics. We have not, we were not a Christian nation at all. And going back to the Treaty of Tripoli, we can show that. This is a very recent development that, that uh, American exceptionalism has added to it, this idea of God. It, it was not there for the most part. It was a generic deistic creator, but it has morphed into specifically like fundamentalist Christianity in a very specific type, you know, to the point where you have a, a debate in um, Georgia where you have this white woman who has no credentials. As far as I know, she's a multi-billionaire. As far as I knew, she married into money. I don't think she even did much. I could be overstepping there, but I don't think she did anything to earn it. And here she is running against Raphael Warnock, who's a pastor, a reverend in Georgia, and they're at the debate, and she says to him that he preaches baby murder from the pulpit mm. and starts arguing with him that he is a baby murderer because he is in favor of Planned Parenthoods staying in low-income areas so women can have access to health care. I mean, that you have – and they're both claimed to be Christian, and, and yet they're, they're battling each other. That's the whole point. It's like, guys, yeah. th this was not supposed to be, we were not supposed to be intertwining our religious beliefs with our federal laws or with our government. Right. And that is very interesting that, you know, when you talk about the, the Christians feeling like atheists are trying to take over, but the Christians that believe those things also don't like Joe Biden, one of the most religious <laughs> presidents we've had in a long time. So yeah. it's sort of, you know, uh, I think the GOP thinks they own G.O.D. And you, you folk are the ones who have to fight back against that. I mean, is it Christian or is it Republican? Because it seems to be Republican Christians are the ones that feel put on. Yeah, the, uh, the, and the religious right moral majority really was born out of hatred for Jimmy Carter, who was probably the most evangelical Christian president we've ever had, or at least in yeah. my lifetime. So, yeah. It is, it is ironic. And from a, from a Christian standpoint, it just always seems to me that the, the politicians who most want to put in God we trust on the wall, this was a big thing that happened in Fresno a few years ago. We put in God we trust because on the, on the wall of the city council chambers because this one city council member was really pushing it. And it just always seems like it's the biggest assholes in the building that are wanting to put in God we trust or the Ten Commandments on the wall. So, And it's, it's a huge slippery slope. And I want people to know, because a lot of Christians will be like, why do you guys care? So yeah. what? It's a small town in Everman, Texas or Dakota, Washington. Like, who cares? It's a, let them do what they want. The city voted on it. It's their city. It's because it sets legal precedent. It, whenever you get ready to battle a case, you look at what other cases decided. And if you start having a history of people putting in God we trust in courtrooms, which is happening, by the way, and has happened for years, now I'm expected when I get called for jury duty to put my hand on a Bible and, and, and affirm before God to tell the truth. Well, I'm trustworthy. I can promise. I can affirm. I can take an oath to affirm under the law, which is valid. 
But if that particular judge has in God we trust behind her and she happens to be evangelical Christian and I get a Bible in front of me and I say, I prefer not to swear on the Bible or I prefer to say, I'm not going to say, so help me God, but I will say I affirm and promise to tell the truth. I'm legally correct but I can be held in contempt and sent to jail. Mm. And then I have to try to get out later and then file a complaint and hope she gets publicly censured. But in these small towns that just won't happen. So I have to either play by the rules or take my chances. Right. I shouldn't be put into that situation and, and, and neither should, you know, if you have a situation where there's a uh, two people who were arguing in civil court, one is an evangelical Christian and one is a Muslim. And if it says in God, we trust back there and there are Bibles in the courtroom is it fair to that Muslim person? Is justice really blind in that moment? No matter who's right or wrong, does, is that, does that Muslim think he has a fighting chance in that courtroom? It's yeah. just, it should and just I hate to agree with you guys. I think we're supposed to disagree more. But yeah, and, and, if, and if you do say, I won't put my hand on a Bible, does that impugn you with the jury? Does that impugn you with, in the courtroom itself? So yeah, I, I totally see your point there. Yeah. And we've got a lot of talking about, sorry, about like how other religions would feel. And we're leaving out one group that uh, very often feels that they're being. The no religion at all guys, right? No, homosexuals. I mean, oh, well, what yeah. does it say to them when an evangelical group gets to put their Ten Commandments in, you know, on, in the government building? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's again, it's the slippery slope. Well, and we've got a crazy thing going on here in Fresno right now in the Tower Theater, which is in, you guys have been in Fresno before. I don't know if you're aware of the Tower District is our arts yeah, and, and creative area and, and where the Gay Pride Parade and the Real Pride Film Festival and all of those things uh, in the Tower District and the Tower Theater is the anchor of that district. And a church is trying to buy that theater right now, an evangelical church. And and so the community is raising up against them and saying, no, you can't have anti-homosexual beliefs in your belief systems and come into this area. So it's, it's, uh, so it, it is a, and of course that church is saying, no, we love everybody and we're, we're going to be accepting and loving, but in the, the church system they're in, it's actually written into their mission, their, their uh, value statement. I can't think of what the word is now that, marriages between one man and one woman. So you, you can't be fully accepting of somebody that if that's a part of the tenets of your belief system. And, and yeah, I think it, th th that community one. feels like it's a danger to them. That is private property. And the church wants to move in and the community saying you can't because of the neighborhood. I, I, that's an interesting case. I, I wonder. It why. is. But, so based on where that stands right now, I would have to know more about it. I would probably be on the side of the church in that situation. If they want to buy it and they can buy it, they should be allowed to buy it. I think preventing someone from buying something because you don't like their views, I think is a, is a problem, but I, I would need to know more about the situation. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. want to make a statement for sure, but right now I'm going, why, why would they not be allowed? Yeah. Like, I can understand not liking it. I can understand protesting it. Yeah. I can understand being extra loud during the parade when you go in front of that building. Uh, yeah. I understand, yeah. you know, doing a lot to demonstrate and protest. You don't like it, but actually stopping them from doing it. Yeah. I, I don't know why that yeah, would, it's like I don't know how that would stand. It's a consistency thing. We fought for the right for what was called the, what was it? The world trade center mosque that, uh, the right. Fox mm. news crowd was so against. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. if we'd fight for that, obviously, I think I would probably, again, not knowing enough information, fight for the right of the church to put their their church there as well. 
Well, see my see my Christian friends. Look at these guys standing up for the church, um, and me as a as a evangelical leader. I'm sort of saying, church. One of our rules is love your neighbor, and if your neighbors don't want you there, maybe that's not the best way to love them. And oh so, yeah, no, I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, let me be clear, but I don't know how. I don't know. I don't think they should be stopped. I mean, I think it's right. a bad idea to. Uh, make your kids hold hands if they're arguing with one another. You know, it's terrible. My mom used to make us do that. My, my, me and my sister, when we would argue, she'd make us hold hands for like hours. And we hated each other. We just resented each other. We And I don't have a problem with my sister, but we hardly talk today, you know? And I think that may have had something to do with it. I think it's terrible parenting. I would argue with my mom and say, that's bad. You made us resent each other. Would I make that illegal? Would I want to classify making your kids hold hands as child abuse? No, I think it's a terrible idea, but I, I don't, I'm not in favor of, of legislating that. And by the way, that's a lot of the atheist position on abortion. A lot of atheists would go, I would never have an abortion, but I don't want to legislate my views onto someone else. And again, it comes down to fairness. That's what humanism really is. Let me uh, step back from those topical discussions for a moment. And Michael, let's start with you. What was the transition for you from growing up Catholic to having the belief system that you have today? What was that journey like for you? Well, did I even ever ask you that on the show? I don't think you. Have. I don't think I've ever interviewed. This is interesting. This is a breaking news for me. You guys are learning about each other. Yeah, <laughs> and like like most people, it was a it was a slow one. It was a very slow one. I remember thinking of myself as very Catholic. Like I'm very Catholic and conservative. Um, and conservative. I was in the Young Republicans, and I I, I campaigned for uh, Republicans. Did you have the hair then when you're in the Young Republicans? What's that? Did you have the hair when you were in the Young <laughs> Republicans? No, not so much. But I was uh, into punk rock and skateboards, and in the Young Republicans, nonetheless. I was alt right way before it was cool to be alt right, man. <laughs> you, you've, met, you've been met uh, Yakov Smirnov at a Republican event. Yeah, I, and, and, then, and when, then we interviewed Yakov Smirnov twenty years later. Yeah. We had him in studio and Michael was like, we got to recreate this photo. He's like, and he showed him, he's like, I got a photo with you. Let's do it again. So Yakov like set aside and they recreated the photo 20 years yeah. later. Oh, that's classic. But my story is pretty, uh, it was, it was a slow one. Uh, but I, the first, it wasn't even doubt. It was a doubt about Catholicism. And it's so funny because when I first got into Monty Python, when I was like 14 years old, my dad was like, I don't want you watching that crap. And it was Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. And there's that scene in church where the priest goes, oh, Lord, you are so great. We're all really impressed with you down here. I sure can. You know, and, and they're just kissing God's ass. And I'm laughing at the movie. I think it's so funny. I went to church that Sunday and I went, oh, my God, that is exactly what we're doing. <laughs> that is exactly what we're doing. And I walked out of church that day and I said, OK. I'm not that Catholic, but I'm Christian. I still believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in all of that. And it was 23 years of age. I was attending Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And I literally looked it at the ceiling of my apartment and went, you're not up there, are you? And that was the last thing I ever said to God. I, I addressed him that one last time to just say, you're not there you're not actually there, are you? And I've kind of been an atheist ever since. And then of course, I, when, you know, uh, guys like David C. Smalley and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins came around, I read all the books and, and I became very involved and I thought it was very exciting and, you know, it's a movement, you know, but uh, yeah, it was actually Monty Python 
that uh, was the first little doubt. <laughs> and not even like Life of Brian that did it. Wow, that's I know. I know. <laughs> that's crazy. How about you, David? First of all, I, I love being in that company uh, with that. And I, I, I forget because we've worked together for almost two years now. I forget that you were a listener of the show before mm -hmm. you started. Like, that's crazy to me. Uh, just real quick, tell that story of how, like, I moved to LA, started doing comedy. Right. And you, yeah. you were, I had a guy that was book, helping me book sh comics on the show because I didn't know anybody in LA. Right. And, and the guy said he would put me on a show and then I just never heard from him again. And then just one day I got tagged in a post saying that I was on this show with David C. Smalley. And I looked at it and it was David. And I, I didn't know he was a comic at all. And I said, there's been some terrible, I like, this is, this will be exciting. I would love to do what, what do they need from me? A speech. Uh, <laughs> he thought I was coming to the, to, the, to the comedy store yeah. to do like an atheist talk or something. He's yeah. like, I don't know what they want me to do here. This is weird. Yeah. And then uh, I reached out to him and he was like, no, this is a comedy show. We want you to do a comedy set. <laughs> I was like, great. And we actually uh, have been friends ever since. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So, it, by the way, didn't you guys tell me you did the Chico's in, in Clovis once? Yeah, we did. We we try not to tell anybody else that. But yeah, we told you in confidence. And I now think the we world did knows. three nights at the Chico's. Yeah. Yeah. Three nights. The Calzone is worth it, though. Let me tell you. Three nights, total crowd, 11 people. Yeah. Three, no, you I'm just kidding. Three nights. It was, they were small. They were small audiences, but they're small places. I mean, yeah. No, we had a great time. Yeah. Actually. We actually did. It was some of the best shows we've done. They're really fun. Um, and the we'll have to get you back again sometime. Shout we'll, out to the Fresno yeah, crowd. Shout out to Clovis. We know that's a word. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now that they know you're atheist, you'll never be invited back. <laughs> Not to Clovis, at least. I believe it. So, uh, David, what was your journey out of uh, Christianity? You know, mine was one of skepticism across the board uh, on a lot of stuff. Like from the age of like five or six, I remember thinking, you know, uh, there's only bad things in the world because there's a devil and the devil has demons. And they're probably only mean because they're raised to be mean. I was a small, I was four or five, honestly, I was a tiny, tiny child. And I remember thinking what we need to do to solve all the problems is to go gather up the baby demons and raise them to be good people. And then they won't uh, want to do anything bad anymore. And so we just need to love them and show them how to be nice. And I was like, well, my mom's never going to go for that. She's never going to want demons in the house. I was like, ah, but if they're cute, <laughs> she might let me bring them inside. And so I went into the living room. And How I old were you at, when you were doing this? About four, four or oh five. Oh my gosh. What a yeah. deep thinker at an early age. Wow. And I went in there and I said to my mom, um, do you think baby demons are cute? And she took me to the bathroom and washed my mouth out with soap. <laughs> like literally put a bar of soap in my mouth over the bathtub and she, to this day, denies doing that, but it is burned into my memory. It was the most disgusting thing, like an actual bar of dial, just like blah, 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 over the bathtub. It was awful. And a lot of Christians hear that and go, oh, I know why you're an atheist now. You're like, screw this old God thing. No, actually, I was just like, I'm never telling my mom that stuff again about my plans to solve world, you know, to have world peace. Um, but I was a believer um, well into my teen years. I was saved after what they call the fifth quarter. 
So fourth quarter football game, um, people were saying, oh, come on down if you ever ascend and yada, yada. I believed it. I walked down. I confessed my sins before man. I went to Bible camp. I did Bible study. I was door knocking, winning souls for my church. I was a part of the ministry. I was a part of the music ministry. Michael and I are both musicians. I was a drummer. He's a guitar player. Um, and I was a drummer for several churches. I was wanting to be a worship leader and a, and a pastor. And so... I was door knocking one time and I remember this lady uh, slamming the door. I, I said, I'd like to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she said, honey, you need Jesus and slammed the door in my face. Oh. And I'm standing there looking at this door thinking, what if she has Jesus on the other side of that door and I'm talking her out of Jesus into a version of Jesus that I've been taught about that's not real? What if I could be hurting people? And... um I didn't like that I had been given the jersey and pushed out on the field and knew none of the plays. I had no idea what I was talking about, yet I'm knocking on the door like I'm selling a product I don't understand. So that lack of knowledge bothered me because everything else in my life I was super skeptical of. I was, my mom and sister nicknamed me Encyclopedia Boy because I would always grab the encyclopedias off the shelf to try to solve arguments about how far the, dis, you know, the distance from the sun to the earth is. And so they would attack me, yell at me. They would be fighting. I would try to solve the problem and go, guys, there's an answer here. You don't have to argue about how far it is. We can look it up. And they'd, oh, encyclopedia boys getting his stupid books. And so I was like, all right, fine. You know, uh, but I looked at it with everything. I questioned Santa Claus. I questioned the Easter bunny. I would stand outside, look at the window right by the, the back patio and stare at the picnic table swearing up and down, I'm going to catch that damn Easter bunny. You're not going to just hop around past me. I was always looking for truth. And I realized I never applied that skepticism universally to my Christian belief. And so when that woman said, you need Jesus, I was like, what if she's right? I could be wrong. And first thinking I could have the wrong version of Jesus made me go, I should read that Bible that I've been telling people to go find Jesus in. And I sat down at 16 years old and began reading the entire Bible. And I read it cover to cover. A lot of, a few years passed, a lot of conversations with theology professors and Christian friends at work here and there. And I noticed that they had different beliefs, but they all called themselves Christian. And I would go, is Jesus the son of God or is Jesus God incarnate? And a Christian friend would explain to me using Bible verses that Jesus is separate from God and is the son of God, but is a completely separate entity. And then I would go back to my church and be bragging to my pastor, who's a Baptist. And I'd go, yeah, I found out that this is, then he'd go, no, that's heresy, son. Let me come talk to you. And he would flip to a whole different set of verses, proving to me, in fact, that Jesus and God are one and the same. And I started losing trust in the Bible to tell me the truth. I realized it was very up to interpretation and you know, I wrote a book about it in 2010. It's called Baptized Atheist. It's on Audible. I recommend the audio version, not just because I make more money on it, but because it's actually updated. It was two years later and I made some changes and some updates. So the audio version has more up-to-date information on it. And I, at the end of the journey, you know, my goal was to get closer to God because I wanted to help solve these problems. And I got so close, I saw that there wasn't one. And then I started wondering why people who were pastors and preachers and and um, seminary students knew just as much as I knew, yet still believed it uh, and, and considered the book trustworthy. And I found that to be fascinating, which I believe launched me into starting my blog to go, how can a Christian know all the things I know and read all the words that I've read and hear the things about slavery and how women should remain silent and all these terrible verses and the way God treats humanity? 
yet still worship him. Even under, according to Christian morals, God does not appear to be a very moral being. How can they justify it? They wouldn't justify it if it was a person. They wouldn't vote for a president that did that, but they worship a God that does that. And they're excited about it. And they're looking forward to dying to go bend at the knee of this God who watched all these terrible things and didn't do it. So I had the problem of evil swirling around. And I, I got so close, I saw that that there wasn't one. And that kind of launched my whole career into this. And now we're... Here you are 18, 20 years into this total. Yeah. Just 11 years alone, just on the podcast. But so it's interesting because I'm in the stuff that I do now, I run in a lot of people are on that journey of, gosh, I don't believe a lot of things that I used to believe. And even I'm on that journey for sure with you, but you guys have landed at a place. So you're talking with people who crystals and so you've kind of landed at a place where nothing supernatural is in your belief grid. Is that, is that true? Do you, do you now sort of reject any supernatural belief systems? My view is that it, something may be possible, but I have yet to see sufficient evidence to warrant my belief. So to me, the intellectually honest position is to say, I'm open to it. It would be cool if it did happen somehow, but I have yet to see sufficient evidence. So I'm a non-believer until I find sufficient evidence. I don't know your view on that. What do you think, Michael? I, I, I agree with everything he just said, but I also would go one step further to say that uh, there cannot be any such thing as supernatural by definition. If we found out there were ghosts, there would be a scientific explanation for it. We don't have it yet, but I bet you there, I, I believe that from what I understand about the natural world, that anything we discover, we can find a natural explanation for. So whatever it is you think is supernatural is natural. And the, the term supernatural itself means more than natural, which is impossible. It's an oxymoron as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Well, that's a, it's a fascinating viewpoint for, for sure. I, 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 so does it take a modicum of faith to believe that, that we can scientifically prove everything supernatural? Is it, or is that in and of itself an oxymoronic any statement? evidence for anything that you would call supernatural um, other than perhaps the rise of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> I'd put him in there, man. That's all I'm telling you. But uh, <laughs> that said, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe any of the supernatural claims I've ever come across. But if for some crazy reason we came across something that people believed was supernatural, from my understanding of the natural world, we would be able to find. Let's put it this way. Every mystery that we've ever solved turned out to be not magic. And that's not my line. I don't remember who said that, but, and so with a track record like that, a hundred percent of the time, every mystery that we were like, must be supernatural. And then we figured out what it, what really was, was never magic. It was never supernatural. It was some element of the natural world. So with a hundred percent track record, I'm willing to bet that that's probably the way it's going to continue to go. Why do you think humanity gravitates towards a God of some sort or, or a, a religion of some sort so much if, if there is no validity in it. Do you, do you have a thought on that? Evolution. I think, so when you see a, a, a fawn fall out of its mother, it naturally gravitates to a larger version of itself for safety, for comfort, for food, for warmth, for everything. It's a survival tactic to go to something larger than yourself for protection. Um, when there's a two-year-old stumbling around a house and a loud thunderclap happens outside, 
that two-year-old runs to mom or dad, whoever's closer. It doesn't have to be taught. Hey, when you hear these loud noises, come see me. There's a natural instinct to gravitate toward a larger version of you in order to gain safety and comfort. And we've reached a point on an evolutionary scale where we have the technology and the science and the wherewithal to consider the fact that we just might be alone or we might not have any guidance. There may not be a giant version of ourselves. And so, you know, you hear Christians say that God created man in his own image and we think that's just the opposite. I think that uh, humans had a really hard time wrapping their head around not having something big like themselves to run to. And so they created God in their image. And I think it probably started, uh, and a lot of anthropologists agree with this from what I've read, probably started with early humans having dreams, visiting a world that is very strange from past loved ones that you may have killed in your tribe or that you fought your father for dominance and won. And then he comes to you in your dream saying things like, son, why did you kill me? That can be a jarring thing to wake up from as an early human being, not quite understanding cognition or the dream state or whatever. And so there starts to be this idea that there is a spiritual realm where we can interact that is not this place. It's our dream world, but but when you're an early human, you don't really understand that. And then you see electricity flying across the sky and thunder and volcanoes exploding and crops coming out of the ground as if something's offering you food. Uh, without understanding agriculture and climate change and meteorology, it makes total sense why that combined with the evolutionary development of the human mind and the desire to be next to something, uh, a bigger version of yourself for protection makes perfect sense why gods would have been created throughout time. Anything you want to add to that, Michael? Uh, I mean, that was a pretty solid explanation. <laughs> Thank to be you. Honest with you. <laughs> Thank I think you. the pattern seeking mind has something to do with it too. You know, oh, I mean, sure. you know, you, the crop failed this year and it just happens to be the year that we were doing this behavior. And then you switch that behavior and then the crop, the yield comes in the following year. And the pattern seeking mind is an evolutionary advantage. It's why we are here today is because we were able to say, ah, the herds migrate this time every year and to see the seasons and to see things like that. It was an, but because of the fact that it's such a powerful sense in the human mind, we get a lot of false positives. And I think religion and the idea of a God is just a result of a, a false positive in the pattern seeking mind that we have. Have you heard of the uh, pigeon experiment or the dove experiment that Dawkins writes about? I have. Yes. The, so there's basically what he was just saying is they had this thing where there were this box of, I think it was pigeons or I think they may have just said birds. I don't remember exactly. For some reason I have it in my head that they were pigeons, but food would be introduced into this box at random times. And there were all sorts of little things they could do. They could bang their head against the bell. They could, they could uh, tap on something. They could scratch things and they would do it at random times. And they noticed that whenever they would in introduce food at a random time, whatever the birds were doing at the time when the food came, when they got hungry, they would go back to those behaviors to try to do it again as if it's some sort of ritual that works. And you're talking about birds, right? So the more advanced you get, the more you start to recognize those patterns. And I think you're spot on. I think that's a, that's a great answer too. So uh, yeah, if birds can do it, I know for sure humans do it. And that's how we got prayer. <laughs> yeah. We go. And but also, by the way, I mean, come on, volcanoes, earthquakes, lightning, <laughs> 
wasn't a bad guess. I'm not. I'm not down on early humans. I <laughs> right. Mean, it was. It was. It was. It was I would defend their right to be that wrong because yeah. if I saw clouds moving through the sky above me and didn't understand what was happening, that's a pretty magical thing to experience yeah. as an early human. And that's actually really interesting. And I have never thought of this before. But you just mentioned clouds. We as again. Uh, it's, it's an evolutionary advantage that we are trained to see faces because a face to early human was a threat. If you're, if you're, if you're out with your hunting party and you see a face in the brush, that's probably an enemy tribe and you're, we're trained to see those faces. So again, we get yeah. false positives, which is why we see faces everywhere because we're trained to see a face because it's a threat. Seeing faces in the cloud, I mean, in the clouds, it suddenly what it's up it's there's a face up there uh, you know that's where thunder and rain and all these things come from and volcano stars. fire comes from the ground and explodes yeah. up it's very violent under there and that looks very peaceful i mean yeah that's uh, interesting it's uh, so let's finish with the concept of goodness and and certainly i would tell you guys that uh, and again, I think I admitted on my sh the show with you guys the other day, I, I understand my religion is cultural and, and from my upbringing. But as I walked away from it in my life and walked back toward it, it, it did have an impact of goodness on my life. In, in a lot of ways, I feel like my, my spiritual beliefs spur me to be a better person than I was when I was going through what I call my pagan years. And uh, but the concept of goodness is one that people use to make an argument for a God being or something that drives us to be good to one another beyond, you know, in a self-sacrificing way. You guys, I assume, would say, I mean, how does the human condition account for goodness that is self-sacrificial when maybe animals would be a little more instinctually uh, self-preserving? Self well, we are animals. Um, and if you look into what's called kin selection and you study certain types of animals, there are lots of animals who sacrifice themselves to help others. Uh, there's a YouTube video of a dog running out into traffic to save another dog and grabs him by his leash and pulls him out. He knows it's dangerous. He sees the dog is hurt, but he runs into danger and, and saves the dog. What is that? Is that Christian morality? Right. Is that the Ten Commandments? Why I believe the dog got saved before that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> of course he has to, because all dogs go to heaven. So there's no <laughs> point. Right. Um, if my dog isn't in heaven, I'm not going to go. Right. There you go. So, you know, I think that uh, once again, my answer for why God is so strong, that, that evolutionary drive, evolution drives everything. It drives sex. It drives hunger. It drives success. It drives all of these things, even lipstick. Why, why do women wear lipstick? Why do we like blush? Why do we like fingernails? All of these things have its, its roots in some sort of evolutionary reason. The whole hourglass shape, women having wide hips, being attractive to men. It's about childbearing. There are, there are these things that go way deep into our roots. And I think compassion is one of those things. If we had the baby and just threw it in the dirt and it was crying and it, it needed food and we didn't care or didn't have the ability to care, if there was no dopamine release whenever we did something positive, we wouldn't have made it to this point to have a Zoom conversation with a pastor. We wouldn't exist. So we had to continue feeding ourselves. We also know that it's better to live and work in societies. We are safer in societies. It's safer for us to be together than for me to be alone. Chimpanzees have figured this out. If a chimpanzee steals food, they are kicked out of the troop. 
Well, now they have to go live on their own, right? So they don't have the safety of other people watching out. They don't have the ability to choose mates anymore. They don't get to pass their DNA along. They're on their own and they have to fight for themselves. And the survival rate of a chimp on its own is not very high. So uh, I think we've evolved to understand that that guilt feeling you get is because you're not behaving in a way that society expects and you know it. It's not because God has told you. It's because you know that if anyone finds out what you're doing, you know this is not up to par with how you're expected to behave if we're all going to share this society. And so those things drive that good behavior. And I could get in deeper, but I would like people to look into, say, uh, prairie dogs. There's a couple of lookouts, right? They're, they're up on their hind legs. And they're looking around. When they see a bird of prey, they could easily just run in the hole, but they yelp out, making themselves a target to save 11 of their cousins or brothers and sisters. Well, that's better for more DNA to be passed down. If 11 gets saved and the one gets eaten, it's better for the tribe. So why would uh, a seemingly amoral mammal perform these sorts of uh, benevolent acts, if you will, to save other people. It, 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 we know that in studying chimps, studying gorillas, those who have that gene and, and, and are more likely to do more for others, they live longer. They do better in life. And so evolution has rewarded kind behavior and punished negative behavior. And we've learned that over time. And I would go so far as to say, um, when you talk about goodness, what, what goodness were you talking about? Christian goodness? You say that, so then why have Christians historically gotten it so wrong? Obviously, morals are relative to the age. That's definitely the weak point in my argument there, for I sure. Know. And we could go through the list from slavery, homophobia, burning witches, crusades, you name it, the Christian church and Christians in general have gotten it so very wrong. Now you say you're a moral person right now and you're a good person. And I challenge you to have a thought experiment for yourself. Imagine a, a Christian or any person a hundred years from now, looking back to the fact that you um, support factory farming and the slaughter of animals and the fact Here he that goes you eat hamburgers. Sorry, but it's just- He's so religious. From. You're I so religious. Show, what I is your deal? Religious. A hundred years, I could show you a video of a girl playing You're probably a right, but shut up. Cow. You're probably right. A hundred years from now, your goodness will not be the 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 goodness that people uh, ascribe to in that age. For eating a hamburger, they won't think I was a good person. They, I, I challenge. I, yeah. I, I think I, he's I, onto something. I, I, if you look at at least factory farming and the treatment of these animals, people will say, just like you look back and go, how could you have owned slaves? Or how could you have lived in a society that permitted slavery? I don't understand it. I think somebody could will look back and look at factory farming. You live in Fresno, which uh, I guess you wouldn't go up the five, but everyone knows as you go up the five to get to San Francisco, you drive past that giant, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll use the the joke term everyone uses, uh, Cowschwitz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you drive by it. How you could drive by that and not go? How could you do that? To I live? do not endorse that term. I do not the either. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily <laughs> right. David C. Smalley. There you go. If the if the NSA is listening right now, that was that was Michael that said that. Right. Yeah. 
I didn't come up with it. Everyone calls it that. But at any rate, but I mean, how could you endorse factory farming? Yeah. And I'm not asking you to answer that right now. Right. But a hundred years from now, people I think you're will, right. will wonder how in the world could you have been okay with that? How could you have been okay with just sucking every living thing out of the ocean, killing the oceans? All the fish populations are in collapse. How could you have thought that was okay? This is the person in the future speaking, not me. That they'll say, I would have been against that when I, if I were there, just like we look back and go, I would have been against slavery. And, right. and so, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I want to say one more thing to kind of turn this on its head, though. Every Christian I talk to says that they have objective morality, that my morality must just be uh, all subjective. I might disagree with Michael a little bit on morality. I think there are a few handful of things that are objectively morally true. And we could get into that on the show or whatever. Um, because depending on how much information you provide, it allows me to provide a better explanation for that. It comes down to John Rawls' veil of ignorance and it gets a little, a, a little blurry and confusing. So I won't muddy up this time with a moral discussion. But there are many atheists who accept some form of objective morality on a few occasions. But... Christians will claim that they have objective morality and the atheist can't. But I say the Christian cannot have objective morality. The atheist could just say, based on the facts of reality, torturing a baby for your own enjoyment definitely causes harm to the baby. And that's a fact of reality, no religion required. But the Christian can't say something is morally wrong objectively because if God decides to do that thing, that thing by definition becomes good. So your morality, if you are a believer, may seem objective to you, but it is entirely subjective up to the whims of your God in that moment. You could say thou shalt not kill, but when God orders Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, 3, you now have to argue with me on my show that God had a good reason for that. We're just too stupid to understand why stomping on a baby's forehead is a good thing. And so now my morality gets called into question because I can't know the future and know why God would do that for good. Therefore, I must accept it as good because God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. So it's just told to me that he's good. But if God decides, if God gives you a commandment and then later says, I want you to go do that thing, that objectively bad thing he told you to never do is now an objectively good thing that you have to do as a good Christian. So Christians have subjective morality according to God. Atheists tend to run more on the idea of consequentialism. What are the consequences of my action? Is it going to do more harm than good, right? And you can weigh it based on that. So I don't think Christians could have an objective morality. It's, it's a compelling argument. And I, I think a, a lot of, I mean, you do, I'm certainly reading the Bible a lot differently than I grew up being told what it is. And I think a lot of those stories, and again, you're right, it's a whole nother topic for another show, but I think a lot of our Bible stories were written from a human perspective and they're like, hey, we did this. Let's say God said to do that. Let's, yeah. well, let's there you go. God said to do that. So it, it was okay. Well, so. Also, it makes it a lot harder for people to challenge you. If you wanted to give rules and laws, like when Paul was talking about women, if he just came out on my own and said, I know God disagrees with me on this, but I think women should keep their mouth shut. I, I don't think that would go over very well. Right. But if he says, God told me to tell you that if women have questions, they should go home and ask their husbands. It's shameful for women to speak in the church of Corinth. Well, now, oh, that came from God. Well, what if it didn't? Hey, all scripture is God breathed, by the way. What's that? Uh, first, is it Timothy? First three, Timothy six? two, I think. Two. Okay. 
Yeah, all scripture. Yeah, you may know better than me. You've got. I you've thought got it was three sixteen. I thought it was something. Oh, you're right. You're right. I think it is. Peter's. No, that's the other. I don't one. have my Bible all memorized yet. First Peter three fifteen is um, uh, to always be prepared to offer reasons for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. That's a different thing. But I love that one too. That's probably my favorite Bible verse. To be honest with you, I use it against Christians all the time when they refuse to come on my show. <laughs> But, you know, always be prepared to offer reasons for the hope that you have. And they'll yeah. say, yes, but I shall not cast pearls before swine. Yeah. Now, yeah. Can I just tell you real quick and we'll, uh, that uh, the um, like uh, like so many prophets, uh, for some reason, God is very absent minded and he gave Joseph Smith the golden plates. Uh, and we all know that the original <laughs> transcription got thrown away and he had to get new golden plates yeah. and God was mad. And that said, but. God, he's a little forgetful, and that's why there had to be revelations throughout Joseph Smith's life. Like, oh, but I forgot to mention this. And in the revelation, and this is true, and uh, this is in Krakauer's book, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is very good, which chronicles the life of Joseph Smith, um, that when Joseph Smith had the revelation, which he didn't have until he had a lot of followers with attractive daughters, that he should have more than one wife. And God included in the revelation mrs smith needs to deal with it and keep her mouth shut god said god it's said it says i get to have as many wives as i want it's in there and god said that my wife needs to that is actually zippy j zippenstein about this <laughs> that is How actually in, that is in doctrines and covenants and i i, I read that verse while I had an active Mormon on the show. And he was like, that's not in there. That's not in there. And then he went to the Mormon website and found it. And he was like, yeah, that's in there. Okay. <laughs> I got to process this. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, guys. Well, I've actually gone longer with you than, than I planned, but it, that's okay. really great stuff. And I, I think it's important for Christians to hear um, some of, you know, mostly what the view is of us from outside of us. And that, uh, that there is often this statement I hear from Christians that, that there can't be good outside of having Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I think anybody who would listen to you guys tonight would come away and say, all right, those are, seem like pretty decent guys for guys that are bound for hell. So thank yeah. you for being, being decent hey, guys on make, this side of eternity. We're going to make hell really fun. And the Christians <laughs> who accidentally end up there are going to be glad we're there because we're going <laughs> to, we're going to protect you guys too. Can I do one thing real quick before we go? I would like to, sure, give, David. Michael, I'd like to give Michael a gift. Uh, can I give you something? I have sure. something for you. Uh, all um, right. Wow. It's this amazing book. It's called Joseph <laughs> comes to town and I pulled some strings. I got it signed uh by the author there's actually, it's a fantastic there's a author by the way in there uh check this out it's actually there's a it's signed there's a personal note just to you so uh just for our friendship thank you very much i'm thinking yeah. uh i thank you for passing it along but yeah, i, I think i'm welcome. gonna thank paul as well thank you paul oh, i very yeah. much appreciate it i look forward yeah. to reading it i have a copy as well you guys are welcome no this pressure is the first to... time this is the first time michael's been here since you were on the show so this is my first time actually seeing him to give him the book you sent so thank you for well that. thank you for the plug for the book and uh yeah you get no pressure to read it but i just wanted you guys to know i appreciated you inviting me along on your show so yeah, we look for having us on this one. This has been a lot of fun. We should do this more often. Yeah, it has been a lot yeah, of fun. Thank good. you. And you guys got to learn about each other. So that's fantastic. That's yeah. right. <laughs> we have something we can fight about now. 
It's great. Yeah. And I came up with that theory about the faces in the clouds. I hadn't thought yeah, of that one before. Good stuff. I'm, I'm you just came up with that on the spot. I came up with that on the spot. I am impressed. I am impressed. All right, gentlemen, appreciate you being on. Oh, real quick, tell everybody where they can find you, both of you on social media, whatever you want to highlight out. I'm David C. Smalley on everything. Instagram, TikTok, that's my website, davidcsmalley.com. Oh, is this going to air really soon? It'll air in uh, two weeks. Oh, man. Okay. Well, then never mind. Well, then in that case, uh, go on Amazon or YouTube or wherever you stream stuff. And look for uh, Danger Force. It's a Nickelodeon sitcom that I'm on. And uh, specifically on one episode called Twin It to Win It. It's probably called episode 18. Uh, but yeah, go buy that. It's like $2.99, $3.99. Go watch it. I get to be a criminal on a Nickelodeon uh, show. So check that out. But yeah, nice. other than that, I'm yeah. David C. Smalley on everything. Yeah, and you're a criminal on this show too. As well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and you can find me at michaelregiliocomedy.com. That's R-E-G-I-L-I-O or on the Twitter machine, michaelregilio1. I hate that. All right. Excellent, guys. Pleasure to talk with you and, and we'll do it again. Thanks for having us. Thanks.